Hot Mess, sponsored by Mason Hazen Curran, experts in renewable energy. Find out more on mhc.ie forward slash energy 22. Close now to the end of the year, it might be a good time to take stock. After all the talking, how far down the net zero emissions road have we actually walked? Like, for instance, how are we doing on the on-again, off-again, one million electric vehicles by 2030 target? Um, like, I know people are sceptical about that target of a million. I actually think it can be. The official figures don't share Leo Varadkar's optimism. They say that we will only get halfway there. The agriculture target was set halfway below what the science said it should be. And as its contribution to the overall 51% cut in emissions, the agriculture sector will be required to reduce its emissions by 25%. Half a million homes need to be retrofitted by 2030. Easy peasy, says the government. And one of the things that we can do to bring down the cost of living is by retrofitting them. And that's what this is all about. We've eight years to get that job done. It took us all of the last 20 years to retrofit the same number of homes. In every area of climate action, Ireland risks being only halfway there by 2030. Never fear, says the government. What everyone else can't or won't do will be done by offshore wind. We've considerable, but as yet undeveloped offshore renewable potential. Here, the picture is often depicted as rosy. There is so much potential in the Atlantic, we are told, that we can lean more heavily on it than anything else to get the job done. The programme for government commits Ireland to achieving five gigawatts of installed offshore wind. There was so much slack for offshore wind to pick up from everyone else that this summer, the government upped the five gigawatt target to seven gigawatts. But this is the real opportunity for our country to switch away from fossil fuels. To put it up to Mr Putin saying, we're not going to use your gas in the future. We have our own supply from offshore wind. But what if we look a little bit closer? What if we stress test these targets? Will the pupil that everyone thought was best in class, the straight A student, actually not even scrape a pass? There is no chance of actually achieving any of the five gigawatts by 2030. It's, it's not a good story. Just like transport, agriculture and housing, will the energy sector only get 50% of the way? I'm Philip Boucher Hayes and this is Hot Mess is the star performer of our climate action plan only halfway there episode 16 living on a prayer Vanessa O'Connell, I head up Inish Offshore Wind. We're an Irish offshore wind company looking to develop offshore wind in the Republic of Ireland. 
To begin at the beginning, let's start with one of the more ambitious offshore wind companies. We have six projects in the pipeline. So we've got two projects on the east, two on the south and two in the west. And that's a capacity of around five gigawatts. And what that means, it's an equivalent to enough energy to power over five million homes if we can actually deliver all of that power. To put it in context, seven gigawatts is the government's ambition yeah. for 2030. You would deliver five. In what kind of a time space? So I think that the timeline for us, we would look to at least deliver one gigawatt by 2030. So Inish is a big deal, or wants to be, but they found themselves frustrated right from the outset. There's a lot of challenges getting in our way. I think what, where, where it starts for us would be, you know, the, the first stage is actually getting the permitting to be able to go out and, and survey the seabed. And then from there, we're able to start to design the wind farm. How long has that taken? We applied for our licenses back in, in 2020 and we're, we're still waiting for them. So it's, That's it's over to... That's just to do the first initial survey of the area? Yeah, it's taking a long time. I think in comparative markets, you know, in the UK, this it would take around four months. There is a new agency that is going to be dealing with these licenses and applications yeah. in the not too distant future. Would you hope that that would speed things up? I think that will speed things up eventually, but I think in terms of our 2030 targets and what we need to do, we need to also just be speeding up things now with the regime that we have and, and the existing systems that we have in place. Inish is not allowed to survey the seabed to see where they might apply to put a wind farm. The new agency that will grant these and other licences, MARA, was created by Minister Dara O'Brien last year. But it won't actually come into existence until next year. The next big problem is our ports. These giant offshore turbines that are going to be used are nearly the size of the Eiffel Tower. You need acres of assembly space for them, really, really long keys. And the keys have to be deep enough to accommodate ships with an enormous draft. And basically, we don't have any ports like that. So in order to accommodate these really large scale activities, you need high specification port infrastructure, large key lengths with high load capacity, large landside areas, again with high load capacity and relatively significant draft requirements. And by draft, I mean water depth. Do we have any of those facilities here? Well, as it stands at the minute, only Belfast's D1 facility is entirely suitable to accommodate staging and marshalling of fixed bottom installations and when we looked at floating wind as it stands today there's nothing entirely suitable for manufacture or turbine staging of floating wind nothing there is no port in ireland that can service the construction of floating wind platforms widely seen as the way to go that's sarah gibson she's the author of an assessment of the ability of irish ports to service the offshore wind industry two-word summary they can't and if I was in the business of building a wind farm, ideally, how far away from me would I want my nearest port? So proximity is key, as this will drive project costs in respect of vessels and transit times. So you typically want to be within 150 nautical miles. If the developers cannot get port facilities within that radius, they will look further afield. So there's a danger then either of there being no ports to service these projects at all or it is done from abroad and Ireland ends up missing out on the potential. Absolutely. So if no movement is made and no additional facilities become available, there's a very real risk that this 
will these projects will be constructed out of mainland Europe or west coast of Britain. And presumably that ends up pushing up the costs of actually building a wind farm here as well. Absolutely, because the transit times go up and uh, vessel costs as well, and, and that is a significant portion of the developer's costs. Sailing between Rotterdam or Hull and the coast of Clare for every turbine blade will be expensive enough to turn a lot of investors off. Long story short, we need the port facilities here, but how soon can we get them and at what price? You know, if you've got a good run at it, it could be six years from first feasibility through to completion, but that would be very optimistic timescales. And to what extent then does that prevent any of the actual work beginning on wind farms? I think a lot of the preparation can be done by the developers. However, they won't be able to construct without these ports or they will construct them from other ports. You're painting a timeline here of us not, if we are to do this from Irish ports, not really being able to start until 2028. That puts a 2030 delivery date of 7 gigawatts of power as being well, somewhat optimistic. I know you've said 2028 there. Some of the, the locations are targeting dates sooner than that, so 2027 in some cases. And if that was achieved, I, I do believe 2030 is not completely out the window. It would take a lot of, a lot of fortuitous events, but it's certainly not out the window. So perhaps it's 2027, perhaps it's 2028 before actual work can start. And that is if the planning system works efficiently and someone doesn't tie the process up in time-consuming judicial reviews. At a recent Wind Energy Ireland conference, an audience of about 500 industry experts were asked to stand up. Can you all stand up, please? No, everybody, everybody, not just you guys who put your hands up. You've you only been stood up for 30 seconds, don't worry. Come on, come on, I'll be come. I'll be come. Well done, well done, well done. You can sit down if you believe that some of the projects will be subject to a judicial review. So, you know, if you, if you think there's going to be judicial reviews, then sit down. All but one sat straight back down again, and after a few seconds, he thought better of remaining up. You obviously work for the government then, in that case. And it would only take one judicial review to add a year and a half to two years to those timelines. Indeed. Turgid planning system and inadequate port infrastructure could see construction delayed until well into the second half of the decade, which is exactly when the next big problem raises its head. And here we are on board the MPI Adventure, a brand new vessel designed and built specifically for the installation of wind farms. First, the vessel jacks up to sit on legs that sink into the seabed to give a stable working platform. Offshore wind farms need highly specialised ships. There's foundation-laying vessels, there's cable-laying vessels, then there are the turbine installation vessels, all very different from each other, and there is going to be a worldwide critical shortage of all of them from 2025 on. All being transported and installed by specialist vessels. The Seaworker in shallow water locations. The MPI Adventure in deeper water. Well, I'm uh, Norman Skillen. I'm the general manager for Yandernul in the UK and Ireland. And what is Yandernul? 
Yandanul is what's called a tier one marine contractor. So we're the main contractor on an offshore wind project. And explain to me what kind of vessels are required, what sort of marine infrastructure you need in order to put a turbine into the sea. Okay, so the main vessels you'd use in an offshore wind prog- uh, project would be the installation vessel for the foundation. So this is something with a crane that could be up to maybe 5,000 tonnes. You need something similar for the turbine installation. It can be a slightly smaller crane, but it has to reach up to 150 metres or more above sea level. And you also need a specialist cable installation vessel to hook up the turbines to the substation and also to bring a cable to bring the power ashore. These are very specialised vessels. Are there many of them in the world? For things like foundation installation vessels, you have got some in oil and gas you can use, but you're still talking, you know, in the in the 50s, 60s, possibly globally. But for the turbine installation, for the latest generation of turbine installation, you're probably only down to about 10 vessels or maybe as, as, as few as five or six for the very largest turbine installations. Five or six turbine installation vessels in the world, and, and everybody has had this bright idea of wind energy at this stage. Today there's about five or six vessels, and some of them are still being built that can do that. The Irish government has very ambitious offshore wind project targets of 7 gigawatts by 2030. If we wanted to get that built in that timeline, when do we need to be calling a company like you and saying, we'd like your cable laying, your foundation laying and your turbine installation vessels here next year, please? Well, most um, developers have now booked up the supply chain really up until 2024, 2025. So contracts are being placed four and five years in advance. So to get things in by 2030, you need to have those contracts probably placed in 24, 25, because you're up against the competition from all around the globe. We will only have auctions for a number of these projects in 2024. So people can't be making a speculative booking with you, can they? They would need to know that they are actually going ahead with a project before calling Jandanul. It, it is a challenge, and this is the global supply chain um, squeeze. People have to book early to avoid disappointment. So let's just add all of this up, shall we? Vessel shortage. Ports that are too short, bureaucratic inertia, planning nimbyism, badly timed auctions, non-existent government agencies, rising commodity prices. Ireland will be energy independent in the future and offshore wind will get us there. But until that future arrives, it seems like we are throwing every conceivable obstacle at this industry. What does that mean for our climate targets? That's after this break. Hot Mess, sponsored by Mason Hayes and Curran, your ESG legal experts in Ireland. Find out more on mhc.ie forward slash ESG22. Back in 1986, John Bon Jovi tossed his mane and told his legions of fans, it doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. Now that kind of nonchalance is all very well for the gods of soft rock, but when you're only halfway there in climate policy, making those targets is a little bit more important. Remember, 
the government wants 7 gigawatts of electricity coming from offshore wind by the end of this decade. So what it does is it suggests, and I could be wrong here, I've been wrong before. Remember the man who made everyone stand up at that wind energy conference? He is Richard Huxley, an analyst from GE Renewables. They've installed 400 gigawatts of generating capacity around the world. What it may suggest is that there is no chance of actually achieving any of the five gigawatts by 2030. Now, I'm sure the politicians don't want to hear that. But the reality is that when you think about the global competition for things like vessels, you then look at the uncertainty as well that you've got. It's, it's just not a good, it's, it's not a good story. And my feeling is that things will be delayed. Um, maybe you have a think about that. That's really what I had to say. There were 500 people in that room. They weren't making much noise, were they? What difference then does it make if we make it or not? Does Ireland's whole climate action plan go up in a puff of CO2 if offshore wind can't deliver by 2030? If we don't deliver on offshore wind, we cannot deliver on our, car on our, on our climate targets for 2030. Dr Paul Dean has over 15 years' experience in commercial and academic research of the energy industry. He says that offshore wind is the central plank of Ireland's whole climate action plan. It's fundamentally key to it. It lays the foundation for the building of the, of the decarbonisation of the other sectors. Um, it's our greatest resource. It's often touted as our greatest asset. We reflect on onshore wind as our greatest success story. You know, it's the story we go and tell the world that we're really good at. And moving offshore is really fundamentally important to achieving our carbon goals because the, the really important thing about uh, wind energy and renewable energy, it's zero carbon at its point of source. It allows clean energy to reach deep across society, deep across communities, into our, into our cars, into our heating systems. And these things at the moment, Philip, are really driven by fossil fuels, primarily oil. Crudely put, we have to put a plug and a socket on everything that emits carbon at the moment. And to do that, we need the electricity that will supply those devices, and that's going to come from offshore. Exactly. Yeah, we need to put more plugs on things. You know, and I suppose if we look around our home at the moment, a lot of our appliances have plugs on them, and that's really good because that's allowing the clean electricity to get into those devices. But if we look beyond our appliances, look at our cars, our home heatings, the air conditioning in, in shops, the, the equipment in hospitals, a lot of that stuff is still using fossil fuels. To what extent is the energy sector also picking up the slack for agriculture, for housing, for transport? It, it's the go-to guy, you know, it's the go-to person really in terms of picking up that slack. The less we can do in any one sector, that tends to get pushed over and the excess needs to be absorbed by the power sector. So, for example, we've got, we've, when we're in the carbon budgets that we have at the moment, these are our, our, our cumulative emissions for carbon dioxide that we can emit over a, over a five-year period or a 60-month period. The less we do in one sector, the more other sectors have to pick up. The target is seven gigawatts of electricity from offshore by the end of this decade. What if we don't deliver that? 
it's very unlikely that we will deliver that. If we don't deliver that, that will have repercussions right across the 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 wider society because again, that clean electricity is an enabler for decarbonisation and heat and transport. We will miss our targets. Um, there's no other way around it. If we don't deliver strongly on offshore wind, we can't decarbonise the power sector, we can't decarbonise the energy vectors going to other parts of the economy and we will miss our targets. And that's just, it's it's about missing emissions, but also there's a reputational impact there as well. Again, coming back to that good news story that we tell the world about, doing really bad in an area that you're telling the world you're good at has a real damaging reputational impact for Ireland. As a, as, a, as a clean country, as a, as, a, as a sustainable country, and as a good place to do business around clean energy as well. I asked Paul Dean to crunch some numbers before we met to answer a question that nobody has posed before. If this prediction of zero gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030 is right, what happens then to Ireland's climate action plan? Does it become incoherent? In 2030, if we deliver zero amounts of offshore wind, the power sector will probably emit around 7 million tonnes. That's not great. We need to get it down below three to stay within our, our climate targets. Um, that's the impact on the power sector but the impact for the other sectors are also equally as valid and equally important. If we sell lots of electric cars, instead of those cars being powered by very low carbon or clean electricity, they won't. They'll be powered by electricity that has a really high carbon intensity. And that diminishes the impact and the value that selling electric cars has on our, on our emissions profile. And the same thing for heat pumps. So it's really, again, it's that foundation uh, that you build your decarbonisation plan on. If you don't get the foundation right, the whole thing can crumble very quickly. How badly would the carbon budgets end up crumbling? I mean, presumably, if you don't deliver in this sector, you have to reallocate across all other sectors. Yeah. So let's look at 2030. Um, um, in 2030, if we don't deliver, if we deliver zero gigawatts for offshore wind, we're going to miss our carbon budgets by somewhere in the region of 15 to 20 percent. Now, Philip, this is assuming that we deliver on all the other areas as well. So let's just assume... Which is do, a big assumption. Which is huge. Look, it's, it's, it's heroic. Let's be honest here. You know, we really have to have to pull out all the stops to deliver on all the other sectors. But if we do equally, as if we do as bad in the sector that we're best at, we will miss our carbon budgets by about 15 to 20 percent. Um, that's a really disappointing place for a country, again, who uh, I guess who, who sells its environmental, environmental credentials to be in. It's a really disappointing place for a country that has, a couple of years ago has declared a climate emergency. And it's really a disappointing place to be in for a country that has such a wealth in offshore wind. You know, we, we don't deliver on offshore wind. We cannot deliver on our, car, on, our, on our climate targets for 2030. Is there a, a gigawatt figure of the amount of electricity that we need to be generating by 2030 for the climate action plan to stay on course. Yeah. So let's think about a magic number. That magic number would have to be ballpark around 3.5 gigawatts. And to break that down into brass tacks, that's roughly about getting 800 to 900 turbines in the sea. 
that would deliver a huge volume of clean electricity into our system. The wonderful thing about offshore wind is that it packs a real punch. Um, it's, it's, it, that would generate 12 terawatt hours of electricity. That's almost a third of the electricity that we're using today. Um, and that would come from all that offshore resource and that would allow us to decarbonize transport, heat, the industrial sector, the residential sector. So even though the numbers sometimes seem difficult to pin down from a contextual point, it's really powerful what that 3.5 gigawatts could do for our decarbonization journey. There's a lot riding on getting this right. And right now, we're getting it substantially wrong. Watch this space for the wind industry saying in the next few months that the state is the thing standing in its way of getting the job done. Eight years, 800 turbines, 100 turbines a year, to keep the whole plan on target. If you found this program interesting, there are others available for download. How do we get farmers and environmentalists talking to each other? How soon can we get off Putin's gas? Should we mine for lithium along the Wicklow Way? Hot Mess is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hot Mess, sponsored by Mason Hazen Curran, a powerhouse in legal advice in Ireland. Find out more on mhc.ie forward slash energy 22.